<clears throat> the ball is tipped, and there you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. One shining moment is all on the line. One shining moment. Hey, college basketball fans, welcome back to a brand new episode of CBB365. I'm Adam Hipsky, joined as always by Patrick Dalhan. And on today's episode, we will be joined by Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports to highlight the various scandals surrounding the college basketball landscape. We also will preview what a potential return to play might look like in college basketball. Later on in the show, we'll give our top fives in the CBB365 NBA Draft Preview 1.0. Okay, and now we are joined by Yahoo College Basketball writer Pete Thamel. Pete, thank you for joining us today. Patrick, Adam, Jake, it's my pleasure. All righty, so we're going to jump right into it. There's been a lot, of, a lot of scandal talk this week. Obviously, Oklahoma State hit with a one-year postseason ban, three-year probation, the reduction of scholarships for three years. How would you assess the penalties? Are they too harsh? Are they too severe, not severe enough? You know, Patrick, it's a good question because I think this is what a lot of people around the college sports landscape are talking about right now. And there has been a sentiment because the punishments are from something that happened uh, nearly three years ago that the punishments are too harsh because they're going to be impacting kids that weren't involved with the program and that the assistant coach is long gone from the program. But in reality, the, the, the punishments fit the matrix that the NCA rulebook has set out to punish violators. Oklahoma State committed a level one standard violation. And by committing a level one standard violation, they are, they are subject to either a one-year or a two-year postseason ban. And so in reality, while the, the sentiment will be they got hit too hard, in the reality from the NCA's perspective was they got off easy. So I really think that this punishment was necessary for the NCA to do in order to properly litigate the other 11 cases that are going to be coming up for all the trials uh, tied to the Southern District of New York, the cases tied to the Southern District of New York uh, federal basketball cases. So Oklahoma State obviously isn't the only program in hot water right now. Obviously, there's Kansas, there's Arizona, there's Louisville, there's Auburn, there's NC State. What does the Oklahoma State situation tell us about the kind of punishments that we could see handed down to those other programs in the future? Well, Patrick, I think that every single case is going to be looked at individually, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but I, I think the, the most important takeaway from sort of an inside baseball and say legalese in this is that in the Oklahoma State case, they did not separate the university from the individual. Mm -hmm. So the individual committing the acts that violated NCAA rules, the university wasn't able to say, hey, that was a rogue actor. He did it on his own. They said, nope, you are tied to this coach. You hired this coach. He worked for you. Essentially, they said, you hired a rotten egg. You are going to rot with him. You are not going to be able to separate yeah. yourself and your program from that. And I think as we go further down the line, especially in the cases of South Carolina, USC, Auburn, and even Creighton uh, and TCU to some extent, 
I think mm-hmm. that as you go through all of those cases, similar standards are going to be held. Oklahoma State says they will appeal the decision. They'll probably make the case that this affects the people who weren't involved in the violations. Is there any real chance that they're able to get their punishment reduced? And if they are, what changes do you think that could be made to the original decision? Good question, Adam. And I think that if there is a change that they really want, the postseason ban is everything in this. All the other stuff is window dressing, scholarships, visits, phone calls. You can work around all that. A postseason ban is just completely decimating to your program. And so when you look at the Oklahoma State situation right now, they have the number one player in the entire country, Cade Cunningham, out of the Dallas area, coming there. They hired Cade Cunningham's brother on the staff pretty much in order to get him. So when you look at the Oklahoma State situation, all of their energy is going to be geared towards that postseason ban. My initial hunch, because when the NCAA looked at the matrix and they said, we're actually giving you the easier of the punishments, I don't think the NCAA, it, there are long odds anytime you appeal. You've already lost and you're, you're working from behind. So my guess, and it's just a guess because you can never really tell what the NCAA is going to do. It's a committee of humans. My guess is that Oklahoma State faces long odds to overturn this on appeal. And what do you think about Cade Cunningham? Obviously, the Oklahoma State coach said that they had – his support to go explore other options. His final five had Kentucky, North Carolina. Obviously, they bring in a stacked recruiting class. But do you think Cade might leave Oklahoma State? Or do you think, you know, G League's an option? Where do you see him playing next year? So it would be fascinating, right? I mean, the reason you play college basketball as a one-and-done is to play in the NCAA tournament. And right now, that option's off the table. Um, there is the financial commitment to his brother, which is fairly significant, and the opportunity to, you know, for your family to be reunited for, for, for a year. Um, he would certainly get good exposure in the Big 12 and be on TV, and scouts would see him and all that. Um, this, I don't think he's going to go to the G League. He has not expressed much interest in that option. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're Cade Cunningham, you have to come down to a decision of, am I going to play in the NCAA tournament or am I not? Like, and if you're comfortable with not doing it and go to Oklahoma State, that's fine. You'd be a hero there forever. But there is an intrinsic marketing value. If you go on a Final Four run, you can't buy that kind of publicity. That's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Think about like all the way back to Carmelo Anthony, who was like a top 10 recruit and a very good player. But he goes and wins the NCAA title at Syracuse. And it changes his paradigm from a Nike perspective, from a commercialization perspective. And Cade Cunningham would be losing that and potentially losing millions of dollars. And one of the reasons why you do play college basketball. Do you think we might see a trend of players exploring their options, whether it's transfer market, G League, overseas? If the NCAA continues to hand out postseason bans, like we're talking about with the schools that are in hot water, you know, if teams are getting postseason bans, do you think we see a lot more guys? Uh, transferring even this offseason? Well, I don't necessarily think you'll be transferring this offseason because the, these things are going to sort of come down. The NCAA always takes its time, all right? Like, the, the, the one thing the NCAA, you can always say about every NCAA case is that they do not work fast. So we are not going to get the results. Like, Arizona and LSU and Alabama still have not received their notice of allegations yet. So that still means there's another year of the NCAA legal process to go. Um, What you could see from this point on, Adam, is you could start to see 
recruits say, you know, do I really want to go to Louisville right now if they could get a multiple-year postseason ban? Do I really want to go to Arizona right now if they might be in NCAA turmoil? Uh, all six of Arizona's incoming freshmen are from other countries. So there is some sense that, like, perhaps recruits are getting wise to the fact that these punishments may finally be coming. And certainly the Oklahoma State punishment changes the conversation for the other schools that are in NCAA hot water in the recruiting space. So my favorite conference, the Big East, uh, announced scheduling modifications uh, in sports like soccer, volleyball, and field hockey um, that group schools geographically and uh, limit long-distance travel. Could we see a similar plan trickle into college basketball? So there's a there's a there's a key difference, Patrick, between basketball and the rest of the sports, yeah. especially in a place like the Big East. Basketball makes money. Yeah. So Creighton, if they're a top ten school next year, like people expect them to be, they want Creighton playing UConn. They want these high profile matchups in these big cities. The Big East was based on big markets and bringing in you know big schools or, or schools that are popular in those cities mm. to play and, and capturing those audiences. All right. So the, the, the scheduling alliances that you've seen in the, in the divisions and such are for non-revenue sports who's, you know, who don't get big gates, whose, schools, whose sports don't make money for their schools. That's to say, okay, the Providence volleyball team shouldn't be flying to Creighton for a conference matchup. Yeah. That doesn't make <laughs> any sense in the world. Can they take a bus to UConn? Can they take, can they take a bus to Villanova and St. John's? Absolutely. But it's just stupid for them to go to Xavier, quite frankly. Um, so, and I think with the financial constraints coming from COVID and the expected revenue losses that we're going to see in college sports in the next few years, I do think we're going to see a lot more regional scheduling in these non-revenue mm-hmm. sports. Assuming that we have a college basketball season, I feel like that's pretty safe to assume now that the NBA has a timeline for coming back. How do you think they'll go about fans? Like, Will they have to test fans or that's a little unreasonable? Like, what do you think they're going to do? In basketball? Yeah. Okay, well, I think in, in, in basketball, Patrick, the, the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to see how it goes for football, right? They have a three-month or at least a two-and-a-half-month data collection base where they can say, okay, was, was there a super-spreading COVID event if we had fans in the stands? What, you know, what is the state of the vaccine? College football season is about three months from kicking off. College basketball season, we're still about October. So we're still five months away. And there's going to be so much data that we're going to be able to get from the NBA, from college football, from the NHL, from Major League Baseball, if they ever get their act together. College basketball is the luxury of sitting back and learning best practices and learning from the mistakes of others. So I don't really think there's even to be much conversation about that until we're about three weeks into college football season. And there's some empirical evidence on how it goes with getting fans in the stands. And now that the NBA has a return date, July 31st, and an NBA draft date is set, what can you tell us about the timeline of a college prospect who is testing the waters? Obviously, the deadline is not till August 3rd, but do you think we will see the players make a choice earlier or will they play it out as long as possible and not make their decisions until late July, early August? Well, there's really only about a dozen guys, Adam, who really have decisions to make. Mm -hmm. And the hope is, as we push on here for those prospects, is that they'll be able to travel and go to NBA 
facilities and work out for those teams. I, I still believe we haven't got official word on whether or not there'll be an NBA combine. So that obviously would be an opportunity for those guys. Or is there some kind of workout? Now, the combine with all the executives in the stands and everything, but is there just like a workout that's videotaped that, you know, is basically a virtual workout that uh, where you get these guys in the gym and they play against each other and they're all obviously tested for COVID and it's done under safe circumstances or there there's enough guys maybe that they can play against each other. Does that happen? And if that happens, you know, can these guys get an accurate read from the NBA? Cause they're going off information and that information is limited right now. Looking ahead, uh, how might we see Corona or COVID-19 affect recruiting? Obviously, right now, there's no on-campus visits. All the visits with recruiting have been done virtually. Will we see the on-campus visits be limited or restricted? And how do you think it will affect recruiting? Well, I think, first of all, Adam, the biggest thing with recruiting is that there is no summer basketball. So there's no AAU. So there's no chance to evaluate. There's no chance to see the development of players. So that, to me, is the biggest thing. If you're a, a kid who was like 6'3 in his high school season and grew to 6'7, you know, in the last six months, say, like, there's no, no one to put eyes on you to, to see that, to see how your games develop, to see the burst, the strength. You guys know at, uh, you know, at the high school age how much kids can grow and their bodies can change and how much stronger they can get. There's such a, such a great window of development for a high school prospect right now. And the... That development is still happening, but acknowledging and noticing and seeing that development is not happening. I think visits are something that that schools are going to be really careful about, right? Because these are all the things that we shouldn't be doing right now in COVID. We shouldn't be traveling. We shouldn't be seeing other people. We shouldn't be going over state lines and you know spending two days with people. So I I really think we're going to see recruiting become a lot more regional because you're going to be more prone to go to a school where you have access to and can drive there and see it from a safe social distance, not have to get on a plane, not have to go in a hotel. So it's going to hurt some of the more remote programs who don't maybe have a local recruiting base and, and access to recruits in a car ride. Pete, thank you for joining us today on CBB 365. We appreciate it. Thank you for coming on today. Hey, uh, Adam, Jake, Patrick, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the pod. NBA Draft Preview, our first NBA Draft Preview for CBB365. It's me and Adam. We are ready to talk prospects. So without further ado, we're going to give our top five of the first round. Adam, go ahead. All right, we're going to start out with pick number one. Me and Pat, we're just going to alternate picks right here. Yep. So we don't really know what order it's in. but uh, So right now, first overall, uh, I've got LaMelo Ball going first to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Obviously, we don't know whether they'll be picking first or not, but I do have LaMelo Ball going first overall to the Timberwolves. For me, I actually had the Knicks picking first overall because I felt like that this was the next year to actually have something good happen to them. I had the Knicks picking LaMelo Ball first overall. He's a guy that can do everything. He's a five-tool player, more of a four-tool player. Uh, he can't really play defense, but he can – pass he can shoot he can run he can finish at the rim he can do everything else so i and he's an easy guy to build around so i had Lamelo ball going at one uh for my second pick i've got the golden state warriors i just went off of this one uh i did my own lottery and i uh, simulated the lottery and i just went off of that so obviously these aren't 
uh, going, this isn't going to be the draft order. I'm not saying it is, but this is just the lottery that I put. Uh, so second, I've got the Golden State Warriors picking, and I have them going with James Wiseman. Obviously, they really are in desperate needs of a center position right now. Uh, James Wiseman is that guy, obviously, seven foot. Didn't get to play a lot at Memphis, but, you know, we know what he can do. We saw him out of high school. And we saw him for the start of the year at Memphis. Uh, he's a really good player. And, you know, seven, like I said, seven foot tall. We talked to Kyle Boone about this, and Kyle Boone wasn't a big fan of him. Uh, but but we are big fans of Kyle Boone. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything he had to say was incredible. But, you know, I have James Wiseman going second overall. I'm higher on him than Kyle was. Uh, I think he is really good. I think he is arguably the best player in this draft. You know, him and LaMelo Ball are two completely different players, but I really like Wiseman. Uh, and I think he's a perfect fit with the Warriors, especially uh, in their needs right now with the center position. Because you look, I mean, they've got a great backcourt. And, like, the thing, if they wanted to do it, too, right, if they if they took Wiseman, too, if they want to, they could just throw Draymond Green onto the bench. Because who's their center right now? Marquise Chris. He's not bad. But, I mean, it's James Wiseman. Yeah, I would say, I would say if they are able to get James Wiseman, James Wiseman instantly – throws himself in there as the starting center. I would I would assume so. Yeah. I mean maybe they maybe they sit him for a year, but I don't I don't see why you take a second overall to have him sit on a bench. I don't know. I would yeah. say I would uh, predict that he would start. But. Yeah. Uh, that Warriors team imagine that so they go from being like horrible, yeah. like abysmal and then Coming back next year with Steph healthy, Clay healthy, Andrew Wiggins in the starting lineup, Draymond Green, and then James Wiseman, and then maybe the year after that, who knows, they'll sign Giannis. Do you think that'll happen? No, no way. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I think that the Bucks don't win it next year. They, they, he won't I'm, not saying, I'm not saying Giannis isn't leaving Milwaukee. I just don't think he's going to Golden State. Yeah. But, I mean, going into the coronavirus lockdown or whatever we want to call it, Golden State is 15 and 50. They're the first team in the NBA that's eliminated from playoff contention. And going from, you know, that 15 and 50, 15 and 50, one of the worst teams in the NBA to being where they are now, or, you know, where they could be next season, getting mm-hmm. Curry back, getting Clay Thompson back. Uh, and then, you know, reloading uh, at the center position and grabbing uh, and being able like, to grab James Wiseman, they could really turn it around. I mean, yeah. They're they're not bad. Golden State's not bad. If they get everyone healthy, they really could, especially if they upgrade that center position. Maybe they don't go with Wiseman, and then maybe they they choose an upgrade in free agency. You know, who knows what happens Mm -hmm. in free agency. Because AD's a free agent this year, too. AD can play the five, too. It was a great move by Golden State just to kind of blow it all up midseason. Like, just to stop trying midseason. Well, you know, you look at them now, and... Once they get everyone healthy, they're going to be really good next year. And like I said, especially if they can upgrade that center spot, uh, they have Andrew Wiggins on the wing. They've got Steph Curry. They've got Clay Thompson. They've got Jamon Green. You're keeping the core. Uh, obviously, you don't have some of the players that you did, you know, when you made the finals runs pre-KD. You know, you don't yeah. have Andre Valley, who played a big run. But, Andrew Bowe, you know, it's I mean, nothing like he used yeah. to be. I mean, David David Lee David Lee David uh, um David West I think Mo Spates Mo Buckets but um anyways I don't think I really even have to say this pick I like I was pretty much all in on James Wiseman at three but um no at two 
But anyways, could I do pick three? You can do pick first, please. Do your pick three, and then we'll, we'll alternate. Yeah. So for mine, I had the Timberwolves picking at three, and I had them taking Anthony Edwards out of the University of Georgia. And for me, I thought this was a no-brainer for them, too. They traded away Andrew Wiggins to GSW, as we just said. And I think that picking up another small forward, like, that can fill that role that he played. Wiggins wasn't, like, a great outside shooter, but he could finish at the rack really well. He was a good defender, and I I see that in Edwards. Like, they're both freakish athletes coming out of college, right? They are both very highly regarded, like, maybe, like, the best players in their class. But, like, like, you know, coming into the draft, obviously. But, like, they're both really, really solid players, very, really solid athletes. And I feel like that once you throw that in the mix with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, that that could mean no good for a lot of other teams in the Western Conference and the NBA once they get some more experience and development under their belt. So my third pick, I've got the New York Knicks selecting – uh, the Okongwu, the big man from Southern Cal, uh, I think the Knicks could use a big man. I think Okongwu is a good fit with them. Obviously, at center, they've got Taj Gibson right now. So uh, I think being able to upgrade and get Okongwu from USC, I think that's a big upgrade for them. And mm-hmm. I think that he's got tools that they can build around. I think he's uh, obviously can still develop quite a bit, put on some muscle. and uh, But I think he's a good prospect, and I think that if the Knicks were able to get him, you know, there's still – there's a lot of good guys. But going off a needs basis right there, uh, they just drafted R.J. Barrett last year with the second pick. You know, they've got Alfred Payton at the one. So I think uh, their backcourt is solid right now. Uh, they can get Dennis Smith back and healthy. But their frontcourt, I think getting a big man – like Okongwu to pair with Julius Randle at the five spot. Uh, I think that would be big for the Knicks. So going off a needs basis, not off a talent basis, I'd say, because I'm telling you, I've got a bunch of guys that I think are going to pan out better in the NBA. Well, there's a lot of guards. There's a lot of guards this draft, and there's not a lot of forwards, and there's not a lot of centers getting Mm -hmm. in, you know, past the lottery. Uh, even, you know, right now looking at my board and Okongwu and James Wiseman are the only fives in my lottery. And that says a lot about how heavily uh, lead guards are in this draft class and how, you know, two guards, uh, there's a lot of one and two guards. So, uh, you know, you've got Isaiah Stewart later in the first round, but outside of that, there are not a lot of big men that, you know, are going to be uh, making their money in the in the lottery. So uh, definitely going to be an interesting draft to see some of those teams that do need big men and what they will go or what they will go for, you know, not uh, without the talent really being there up in the lottery. But, you know, there's going to be some options in the, in the mm-hmm. late first round and, the, uh, and in the second round. So, uh, but if you're looking for guards and uh, wings, there's a, there's a ton of them. There's plenty of them. You got to go, go to your fourth overall. Uh, yeah, I got to go to my fourth overall pick. I have the Hawks picking here, and I have them kind of reaching uh, Tyrese Maxey out of Kentucky. Yeah. So they already have, like, a really good point guard. 
than Trey Young, like all-star caliber point guard. But I think that they could really use a stable shooting guard because, like, obviously Kevin Herter is pretty good, very good out of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like he would fit better at the three, having played lots of lots of times with them in 2K. I've fiddled with their lineup a little bit and I've had the most success with the three, but also I've watched the Hawks a decent amount. And when they had him at the three, he had his most success. So I think that drafting Maxi and putting him at the shooting guard position would be beneficial to the Hawks, not only as a team, but it would be really helpful for them just to get another guy that can score the basketball. And obviously Maxi, he can make an impact right away. He's six three, like he's he would be undersized for a guard, a shooting guard more specifically. But I do think that the Hawks have a pretty good small ball lineup up until Clint Capella, so I think that if they drafted him, they could really make it work in a good way. You know, I'm really high on Tyrese Maxey, and do I think he'll have a top five NBA career? Yes, but do I think a team's going to bargain on him in the top five? I don't. I really like that you went with him at four, because I think he, I think he's going to have one of the best careers. Uh, I really like him. I really like his, his weight or his uh, ability to score, but I, I just don't see teams taking a bargain on him that early. So at fourth overall, I've got Killian Hayes, the French guard, obviously our good friend at CVS. Kyle Boone was really high on mm-hmm. him. Uh, and I really like the way that I really like the way he plays going in there at Cleveland. They just, uh, you know, but it, it's tough for this pick because they do, they did just draft Darius Garland fourth overall last season. They also got Colin Sexton. So to put to put another young guard in the backcourt is risky, but honestly, the way I think Killian Hayes is another really good guy that I think mm-hmm. I really think that he'll be one of the best players in this class. I talked about Tyrese Maxey being a top five guy in this class. Killian Hayes is right there. I mean, I think I think the way he plays is perfect for an NBA guard. He can score, he can pass, he can ball handle. So I really like him. I think he can impact right away with Cleveland. You know, this pick, I went with Cleveland, wasn't as much on a needs basis as much as it was just a best player available. But I'm going to go to my fifth pick real quick to wrap up my top five. And I'm going to go with the Atlanta Hawks. And the guy that's still sitting there is Anthony Edwards for me. And you. Oh, you had him falling to five? I did have him falling. I didn't. I thought that you had him going earlier. Oh, my God. I can't believe that slipped. I didn't. But here's why. I think Anthony Edwards is a really streaky shooter. You saw that at Georgia. Uh, he's obviously, like Patrick said, he's really athletic. He can get to the hole. He's an unbelievable scorer. But what I don't like about him is he's still got a very unstable jump shot from outside. Uh, didn't have very good numbers at Georgia shooting from three. He had a couple good games. But he was really on and off, and uh, that's why I have him falling to five. I think there's a lot of prospects better than him. I think he'll be a good role player. I think he's a good athletic. Uh, I you could I would say more of a spark plug. You can put him in here or there and give him good numbers off the bench. But putting a man with Atlanta maybe takes that shooting guard spot over Kevin Herter. Maybe backs up. Maybe he's a good, uh, decent six man off the bench. But I've got I've got Edwards at uh, at fifth overall to the Hawks, so that'll that'll do my top five. Patrick, who you got at five? I just want to talk about Anthony Edwards for a second. I do think that watching him with the Hawks would be super, super, super fun, especially I, that Georgia Atlanta. You know that Atlanta. Yeah, 
Like, if he just developed, like, an okay three-point jump shot, that team would be so much fun to watch because then you have Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Anthony Edwards, John Collins, and then Clint Capella. Like, they're that so would... Young. Well, yeah, they're so young, and they're all so talented. Like, all freakishly talented. You know, I was talking to Bob Rathbun, the play-by-play guy for the Atlanta Hawks. I was just talking to him, and the thing that he said... Uh, that Atlanta needs to finish off to really uh, bump up, I guess, or, or get better at uh, heading into next season. He knows they've got a great young core mm-hmm. and uh, they've got a lot of good pieces, but they need to improve tremendously defensively. I mean, yeah. they need to take a big step up. You know, you talk about Trey Young being an unbelievable scorer, but he's also horrendous on the defensive Yeah, end. You know, I mean, he'll, he'll get some good steals here or there, but talking on-ball, off-ball defense, you know, he's not there. So uh, I like Anthony Edwards on the defensive end. Uh, I like his I like his body, 6'5", 225. Uh, I think he can uh, come in right away. I think he's got a good NBA body and can – and if he wants to play defense, I think he can play defense really well. Uh, he can rebound his position, and uh, that's, why, that's why I think Anthony Edwards is a good fit. I think he's a good defensive – uh, you, you could plug him in on defense and maybe come off the bench. But uh, if he does develop his three-point shot uh, just a little bit, I mean, he shot under 30% from mm-hmm. three at Georgia. So how, how are you going to take a guy that couldn't score, you know, or couldn't shoot 30% from three, you know, in Georgia, and then just, you know, next year as a rookie, expect him to shoot 35 40%, which is good numbers for the NBA. I'm not saying that a 35% shooter won't make it, but I don't know if a 30% shooter will make yeah. it. You know, especially if you can, you know, you've said this before, if only, especially if he can only rely on his athleticism. So uh, that's that's why I think Anthony Edwards, maybe uh, I think he could fall to five at Atlanta, in Atlanta. For my fifth pick, I had the Bulls picking, and I had them taking Onyeko Kongwu okay. with the fifth pick. Uh, I think that the Bulls need all the help that they can get. They need to build around Zach Levine. They need to and Kobe White. Kobe White's yeah. Kobe White's there. really good. Who's the power forward? Laurie Markkinen. He's really good, and I do think that getting Onyeko Kongu can only help that team because not only is he talented on offense, but he's very good defensively. So that that I think would make the Bulls a much, much, much better team and put them in a much better position to win. Okay, guys. Well, that's gonna do it for this uh, episode of CBB three six five. Appreciate you joining us. Yeah. Sir. See you next episode. See you next time.